We were gonna. You just do you do you on the sofa. That's it. Welcome to Ask Girl. This is where we answer the most interesting health and fitness questions that we can get hold of and also the questions that you write in. Now with me today we've got Dr. Hota who specialises in health but also in how he can com combine um, the intervention of pharmaceuticals and lifestyle advice for his patients. We've got Yulia who combines um, herbal medicine with lifestyle advice to treat her patients. We've got Chris who is a nutritionist specialising in uh, childhood obesity and behavioural changes. Now what we've done is uh, we have set set across, or I've set a few questions in different rounds. And what we're going to be doing first is answering these questions collectively. Is that her? Huh? <laughs> what did you say? <laughs> I read some of these. I just said it. I just read some of the questions. Some of them are pretty provocative. They're pretty provocative. They're on Instagram live as well. Um, so. Uh, these questions are more just to, to warm up, they're to stimulate conversation, uh, so it's whoever wants to talk. So first question is, if there was no emotional attachment to food or body image, would this change how you communicate with your patients? Very, for me it would be. How so? Just very slightly, I think sometimes when they have an attachment in terms of the way they look or they enjoy their food that much in a certain way, then you have to approach it just very differently. Yeah. Um, you may have to like talk to the parents very much and get on board with them and see what the issues are, or you may have to talk to the child individually yeah. and see what their issues are around food or the way they look, and then maybe get those outside agencies in if they need to be, when, and what, speak to them and see how you can work together to help that individual. When it comes to a lot of the barriers that you see to people uh, dedicating themselves to a healthy, life if you were to sway if you were to put a percentage on what's mainly down to a lack of knowledge and what's down to a lack of emotional control how would you sway it well, knowledge is definitely for me it's one is what i see a lot of is knowledge mm -hmm. they just don't understand certain things the aspects of health like which we try and promote as don't say get fit health and nutrition and try and get them to understand it as best they possibly can and the amount of kind of questions you get around it which they you think oh they you think they would understand like what a basic carbohydrate is yeah yeah they go the whole opposite way and or understand where a fish finger comes from do you think that differs between adults and children uh, at this moment yeah yeah probably how, how so well, some adults just are very obscure to what good nutrition is at the moment yeah they just buy one get one free and that just is going to feed their family which is absolutely fine and that's the the kind of gist of it at the moment but it's not understanding the right nutrition to go along with it that, that kind of healthy balance how about you doctor does that come into your line of work at all i mean all the time i mean obviously i i do the diabetes clinics and i promote the kind of low carbohydrate uh you know the diet but most most patients you know uh, women more so than men do have an emotional attachment to food whenever you're stressed out you're anxious uh, you know, particularly you're going to eat the sweet foods the salty foods so most people very few people do not have an emotional attachment. And those people that don't have an emotional attachment, they probably look after themselves anyway. They're more disciplined or are in control. So I think there's very few and far between, you know, including myself, you know, if I'm stressed out, you know, yeah. if uh, the bad foods come out, you eat. So yeah, it's important. And But I suppose what's more important is how emotionally attached they are. The greater that attachment to food and reliance on when you're stressed out, then you know you've got to work on those emotions more than giving the advice. So you could give advice, they could, they could understand the advice, but if you don't deal with the emotions first, mm -hmm. you're not going to have any success. Mm -hmm. How about you, Just where 
counseling and um, sort of behavioral counseling comes into place as well and holistic uh, medicine, lifestyle medicine. Um, a lot of it, I think, is to do with how we are raised as well, how we are taught to deal with emotions from children. You know, if you um, if the parents are away all the time and as soon as they come home, they bring sweets and that's a treat and you know, they do something good, you get something sweet, you just sort of condition that way. 100%. Doesn't yeah. mean it can't be changed. Um, but yeah, we have to be delicate as practitioners um, when it comes to speaking about food and um, body image and all, all of that. Probably make it easier. You know, if we didn't have to, obviously we're human beings and we, mm, we have yeah. to take that into account. I, to I totally agree with you there about how we're uh, programmed, you know, you know, within the a Asian culture and things that, you know, there's lots of kind of sweets and things that whenever you pass an exam or anything, all the kind of Indian sweets come out, well done, have this, you know, and, and especially within the Asian culture, um, in fact, being slightly overweight, for them that's healthy mm. and it's really, and as soon as you get to a kind of normal weight, Oh no no that's that's unhealthy. Yeah, you need to yeah. so I totally agree with you about how you, you know you treat kids. So it's it's very the knowledge is important to try and get out there to to families. Mm -hmm. um, and I think I, I wrote an article once in the paper, and I really like the line about you're killing your kids with kindness. Yeah, if, mm -hmm. yeah. And then if a lot of parents understood that, really really understood mm -hmm. that, they would you know rather than you know go up to the school when they're picking their kids up, and you've got the crisps and the chocolates there. You know, it's you know. I know they're hungry, nuts or whatever. You know, yeah, yeah, exactly. Fruit, just something healthy. Absolutely. I'd say that point is key: is the emotional attachment to food, but what kind of emotional attachment to food? Because if you're you're talking about reward, aren't you? Mm. Reward or to bait your kids of killing your kids with kindness. You, yeah. if they're upset, you give them a sweet. If they're happy and they've done something well, you give them a sweet. I've also, I was talking to someone recently, and they said that there was a, a, a drastic cultural shift after World War Two, after the rationing in the UK, mm. and uh, when food started to go into more mass production, food was readily available. Apparently, that might have had something to do with uh, why we are now at such a uh, in an environment that's such a calorie excess mm. in comparison to what we were before. Next question: If you were to give your patients or your clients one book, what would it be? It's hard for me, like being working with kids, because I don't oh, really want to. I don't really want to give a them. Book? <laughs> it, could, it could be a child's book, but it's a child's book of whatever they fancy. I wouldn't want to make them go home and read a specific book on mm. exercise. Exactly. Yeah. Rather <laughs> just give them Harry Potter and tell them yeah. to read and enjoy it. Whatever. From my personal perspective. I mean, I. There's loads of books that I can recommend. I don't know about any one particular book. I'm, I'm a big fan of Michael Mosley and yep. what he says. Uh, yeah. Well, he's one of he's one of the kind of the the TV doctors, mm -hmm. uh, and he's got a very good book. Him and his wife wrote a book, uh, the Eight Week Blood Sugar Diet Recipe book. That's a, mm -hmm. that's a very very good one. There are a few others that, you know, and be, because he's quite popular and people relate to him, I probably would go for any book written by Michael Mosley because he also talks about you know intermittent fasting and all these other things. So yeah, I'm probably a big fan of his really. Nice. Yeah. How about you? There's a really interesting book I've read recently, um, a bit con um, sort of contradictory or you know interesting to, to discuss. Definitely, it's called "You Are the Placebo." Um, so, what's it called? "You Are the Placebo." Yeah. yeah. Making your mind matter by Dr. Joe um, Dispenza, who's a chiropractor and a neuroscientist as well, and it's I think it's quite fascinating to to read both from a practitioner and and patient point of view, and it's quite. Um, Gives a lot of tips of you know how we can tackle 
for example, epigenetics, that's a big subject that's come, you know, come up recently and um, basically you have your DNA but that's not your destiny. There are certain genes that can be turned off or on depending on, you know, the environment, your diet and stress and, and so on and um, that's one, one way um, that we can change, you know, basically you can make yourself, yourself sick or you can make yourself recover better um, if if you eat, you know, if you eat well, and also if, if you spend more time in your parasympathetic nervous system, for instance, so a lot of people are in overdrive, um, very stressed if they don't rest properly, and then it kind of messes up your your body's balance as well. Um, meditation is is one example given in the book. Um, it's very helpful for mm -hmm. you know um, just being healthier, really. And can I yeah? Can I add to that? The anxiety I'm finding more and more. I'm seeing more and more patients with anxiety, mm. uh, and you know, be it'd be nice to kind of talk about it more fully. But kind of very brief, briefly, a, a lot of my patients, what they do, you know, the anxious patients, they're on overdrive, and everything they do, in fact, puts them into more of an overdrive. So, mm. for instance, they're on overdrive already, but to cope, they drink more coffee, mm -hmm. uh, which it st stimulates them more. If they're asthmatic, they start using their Ventolin inhaler more, which again increases your heart rate. Mm. Then they, they go to a gym and they do a HIT class rather than do a yoga platform class yeah. to calm them. That's so everything, yeah, everything mm. they do pushes them more towards the thing and then they end up with palpitations and things that we don't slow down and we don't rest mm. enough. And mm. what you're saying about placebo, mm. the mind is like powerful. And I'm sure over the years I've seen many patients mm. where... They've, they've not been ill, but because they believe they're ill, and I believe that they've actually caused an illness through their own belief. Mm. They believed it so much that they've actually, you know, yeah. not brought it upon themselves, but they just, yeah. Um, if you think of, uh, what was it, 1990s, um, when they discovered that you can actually, if you activate some neural pathways and, you, you know, um, you can actually increase the number of connections in the brain and, and in three weeks if you don't use certain parts of your body and emotions they can also be reduced so that will speed up or slow down how quickly you produce cortisol adrenaline dog fight over there <laughs> lots of adrenaline <laughs> um, so that's another way you can explain it as well but yeah. definitely I've seen it in my personal life and in my patients um, lives as well but anxiety can really cause physical symptoms talking and of, meditation can talking about them to up to point talking about the placebo effect specifically i think the placebo effect a lot of the time is not well understood and i think the it's so important that the placebo effect is is controlled uh, when trying to create um, evidence or whether to find evidence supporting or not supporting an intervention but the the, the history of the placebo effect it, it was kind of culturized to to create a perception that um, it's all in your mind and that can be true for sensory problems so I'd say like pain is a sensory problem right pain can change depending on what kind of mood state you're in depending on what day of work you've had etc etc but when we're seeing the placebo effect actually have an effect on structural problems like cancer or a tumor that's something entirely different and there's a really good TEDx talk um, I can't remember what her, what her name is but she was basically saying that the placebo effect is being driven into more of a parasympathetic, parasympathetic uh, state mm. 
Mm. And that when you go to a doctor and the doctor talks to you or another health practitioner and they talk to you calmly and they put their hands on you um, and they reassure you and they fully examine you and they say everything's going to be okay, Mm. it apparently puts you in more of a parasympathetic Mm. state. And um, that is where obviously healing mm. occurs, mm. Uh, or obviously it's a spectrum. But when it comes to complementary medicine and all sorts of therapies and you know, yoga included, it's been dismissed, you know, quite negatively, in a way. But if we can learn to use it positively, as you said, you know, just the way you are with your patient, or you know, in sort of certain religious sort of communities, if you know the tribe is praying for you, often you know they, they just feel better. And as you said, you probably rest better, your heart yeah. rate goes down, and your body is able to you know work on its healing better. Um, and then there's the nocebo as well, which is interesting. You know, some people who um, perhaps they they think a certain medication is harmful, or they heard someone had a side effect from it, and they take it, and then they might have that experience that side effect, even if it's not one that is related to the medicine and it's come across. Actually talking about the placebo, so I recently did a talk about lifestyle medicine to the GPs and following me there was another GP and he's from uh, uh, Eastgate Church here and they do kind of faith healing. You don't have to be Christian to go there but uh, and they've accumulated the evidence but some of these patients aren't Christian who who go there but through the the faith healing, the, the positive um, news they give you the support I mean they claim lots and lots of things where people have been pain for many years and without medication just through faith faith in whether it's Jesus Christ or whatever they've managed to come off painkillers and that, and you know the evidence he was was true they you know that the, they audited it really well so this placebo this faith belief mm. it works whichever mm. way and it was you, Elliot, who told me about, was your knee surgery? It was a study they've done. And loads of surgery. Yeah, yeah loads surgeries. of surgeries. Mm. They so just open you up, they do nothing, so you back up, and then it's surgeries in such <laughs> Surgery is in such high demand. It's in huge demand because of how powerful people think it, think, people think it is. So surgery and injections are deemed to be one of the, some of the most powerful interventions. So the more invasive the intervention, the more powerful. And they compared... Um, meniscus surgery or knee arthroscopies um, with exercise rehabilitation and long-term no change um, and that's not placebo effect either. that's not comparing placebo that's just comparing intervention when they did compare brain surgery to remove uh, brain tumors against placebo as far as I'm aware <laughs> as far as I'm aware there are identical outcomes uh, between the two studies and there could be a whole variety of reasons why that is um, obviously the placebo effect would be one of them um, but yeah I think it's it's interesting mm. it's and that, it's that book is full of all mm. these case studies and trials yeah. and you know when it comes to medications yeah. so how difficult it is for um, the pharmaceutical companies to compare something against the placebo effect because obviously oh, it's, yeah, it's very difficult yeah, because some, one person believes more than the other mm. yeah. you give four or five people a placebo pill one really really believes in it and the other one, you know, you may not believe in it, and that's hard to think. But believe, you know, placebo and belief uh, is is really important in all of our jobs. Even with you mm. dealing with your children and stuff, you make them believe that they can get fit or they li- they can lose weight, and mm. you know, it, it it helps. They've got to believe in themselves to kind of absolutely. warrant going yeah. forward. Yeah, if absolutely. they don't believe themselves, yeah, well, there's negativity around it. Yeah. They're never going to succeed. And I think. If I can push that boundary of them really believing in themselves, mm. they're going to succeed no matter what. I mean, I saw a child today who was 
who came to my group about three years ago and has changed so much. She does gymnastics now. She is constantly eating healthier with her mum. Her mum's changed her lifestyle. Mm. Might not be literally down to me, but the way her habits now have changed is nice. phenomenal. She's just such a completely different yeah. child. Mm. And that's really young. She's now year three, I think. Mm. And she was mm. year one at the time. Mm. And it's amazing. And the consequences of that are going to be, I think the consequences of that are going to be bigger than a lot of other possible medical interventions. Because you're talking about changing someone's lifestyle for the benefit of their mental health, their self-esteem, their social health, they're uh, less likely to suffer from Alzheimer's, vascular dementia, heart disease, diabetes, liver disease. Like it's just mm. the, the benefit from, from having that base, a healthy base, healthy lifestyle are huge. Mm. Um, Chris, this question's for you. <laughs> yeah, you've got to leave this question because it was getting heated before, okay. um, before Dr. Soto and, and Yulia arrived. Right. If you were to eradicate terrorism or obesity, terrorism or obesity, or terrorism or what predisposes obesity, so fast food, sweets, etc. Katie's taking a sip of her coffee, she's leaning in to get some more. <laughs> which, would you, which would you eradicate? Terrorism or anything that predisposes obesity. I'm going to play purely devil's advocate on this. No, you can get involved in this. because oh, you can get involved. I'll really get involved from devil's devil advocate perspective. I think what you should do is you should put it in to help people that are watching this. Put it in the term, layman's terms of what you've said about the sheep. I will, I will. I'm going to put, put it into no, those that's, terms. That's the it makes step. it easier to understand. That's the next step. Don't worry. <laughs> it's going to happen. Go on, Chris. <laughs> I, I didn't like this question. Oh, I you, didn't you, wanted to, you didn't want to talk, to talk about no, it. No, because this one was very much, it's completely out of my remit more than anything else. And in terms <laughs> of how to come across that as a question, yeah. it's very much, it's hard to, to talk about unless you've got more people involved that can then... Chris, you're like, a braver man. You're blushing well, we were kind of speaking earlier, trying to move no, past. You can't something like that. No. You've got to, so, I mean, yeah, see, you got to, you got to give you a pitch. Put it in your list. This, this is just... a question for April Fool's Day. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> can you can you answer yeah. this? No, 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 such a peculiar question. It's not a peculiar question, it makes it is. sense. It is. <laughs> okay, you ready? Terrorism and fast food. You ready? Wow. <laughs> Both different ends of the spectrum. Okay, I'll give, my, I'll give my vote. Go. I would get rid of fast food okay. and anything that predisposes obesity because, on average, 10 people die a year in the UK from terrorism, mm -hmm. whereas 74,000 people die alone in the UK just from heart disease. And then, after giving that, so yeah. that then comes yeah. your point, which is... Katie, what's your point? <laughs> you had a point. Um, I would say terrorism, get rid of terrorism. Because? Because when people are eating fast food and they're making themselves ill, but terrorism, people aren't having the choice to have their lives taken away from them. Right. But they've got the choice to eat fast food. Right, So, the, and the general human consensus is you, you, you prioritise your independence and your freedom of choice over life. Yeah. Yeah, which is like fair play, but, right? Okay. The next yeah. You know, is food is killing us as well, but we are also overgrowing the planet. You know, it's, it wouldn't solve all the there's problems. There's too many oh, no, of course. <laughs> glory, isn't there? For no, <laughs> so, yeah. In a way, yeah. natural selection comes in place somewhere. It's gonna, you know, yeah. whether it's through 
Okay. But then, what, like I said earlier I on, it's down to like terrorism is a belief on yeah, yeah, about okay. a certain religion, whereas what, yeah, yeah. fast food, on the other hand, is down to their kind of like preference or choice or understanding. All right, one cool. can Isn't be, it? you know, reverse. I mean, once you're dead, you're dead. But if you've eaten fast food up to a certain age and you come and speak to one of us, you know, you, you can reverse. All right, stuff, cool. You know, so it's not as things. not as uh, black and white. Yeah. yeah <laughs> Second part of the question: You've got a thousand sheep. You've got a herd of one thousand sheep. On the hill to the right are three wolves that are going to kill one of your sheep. On the hill to the left uh, is a plane of grass, which is partly poisonous and will kill 30% of your sheep. Which direction do you take the sheep in? It's just such a hard... It's not a hard question, man. Oh, You're a shepherd. Yeah. None of them. I'm in another direction. No, <laughs> <that's> <laughs> else. I'm going to take the one through the woods where I'm going to negotiate man. trees and shrubs and everything else. This is out. where you're either... Uh, yeah. Humanitarian, yeah, yeah, yeah. or you're thinking politically, yeah. or yeah. you're thinking like an army soldier, mm-hmm. is you know, or practically, yeah. it's whether you're you're getting emotion out of the way mm-hmm. and you start thinking logically. You know, that's that's exactly. The, yeah, exactly. You put a lot, you put emotion into it, yeah. but emotion is sometimes not. It's difficult. It's not always the right thing, mm-hmm. and then logic is the right thing. Mm-hmm. It's it's a. And if you know, if the grass is that poisonous that they're definitely going to die within the year, then yeah, it makes sense to kill a few. You know, a few one, sooner. But one, yeah. with fast food, it's not as clear cut as that. There's so many factors. The reason why I wanted to ask this question is it gives the perspective of the answer to obesity and ill health being the nanny state or education. The nanny state is you do what's best for the herd, regardless. Yeah. Um, and the other is that you prioritise certain human values, such as um, freedom of speech, freedom of decision, freedom of choice, etc., etc. It's a bit like the sugar tax you're talking about. A bit like the sugar tax, yeah. a bit like um, a yeah. tax on, on, on tobacco. It's a little bit like um, not allowing people to smoke in pubs anymore, things like that. So how far... Do you go? Would you be able to try and fix the camera? Please stop recording. So how how far? Stop yeah, yeah. How far do you go in um, creating an environment that drives health forward without being too deterministic in how that person decides? Mm. <laughs> right, okay, I'll give you another question. There's, there's, I mean, I'll give you another situation. Yeah. So for example, there's um, they started to include. The one mile walk yes. in schools. Mm-hmm. Yes. Kids don't have a choice. Sterling, yeah. Sterling that's good. Cool. Uh, in Scotland, Stirling, yeah, yeah. So the kids don't have a choice whether they do it or not. They have to walk one mile mm-hmm. before they start school or 400 meters. Yeah. Is that right or is that wrong? I, th- I think it's the right thing to do. Right. So how- make, making kids more active is, is senselessly getting them moving without yeah. them actually knowing they're moving. Cool. But it's under it, other under enjoyment as well. Yeah. I mean, if the thing, if you think about it, it's a. It's a bit like Star Wars these days anyway. You've got the, you know, the good force and the bad force. Yeah. You've got all this advertising that's going on that's already leading them down the wrong mm. path anyway. Yeah. Uh, you know, that, that, that is the, the dark force. And you know, we, we, need to, we need to be the Jedi warriors and, you know, and, and show them the, the, the right path. So there's always go, it's always a nanny state in a negative direction anyway. Mm. And that's my point, is that when you do bring in advertisement, when you do bring in the person's family background and the family habits um, and their lack of education, how much choice do we really have with how big we get and how obese we are and how, exactly. how little we exercise? Because in my opinion, I don't think we have that much of a choice. I think that you could show me 100, you could show me a thousand parents and I could quite easily come up with uh, 
a, a statistic or a figure as to how heavily I think those children are going to be predisposed to living exactly the same way as their parents. And when you don't have that choice, how much does, should the government govern? That's like that's mm. that's my point. Um, me personally, if I was in charge of the government, I would one hundred percent crack down far more on fast food. I'll crack down on fast food advertisements. I would. Mm. Um, I would they're already in. They're already doing that. Yeah, McDonald's good. toys, good. you know. So yeah, so things like well, McDonald's actually target the kids. They don't target the parents. That's why you've got Happy Meals. And but the, the problem with a lot of this is, you know, with a, is it brings in money for the country. Exactly. That. I mean, I, when I was on the, you know, I was, t- was talking about the Kenton Health and Wellbeing Board. Mm. I spoke to the, the guys who own the local leisure centres here, Cascades and Cygnets. Um, and you know, I, used, I take my daughters swimming there and obviously you see kids swimming they come out and firstly they go to the fast food machines and they, they do, yeah, obviously you know right. they've done some exercise the kid is sev- yeah exactly and you know, so I said I said to the, uh, you know I was speaking to the leisure centre guys who are, you know, I said can we not get rid of these machines and the answer was it brings us in money that's crazy you know and, and it's the same with the hospitals mm-hmm. so you, you can go to Darren Valley Hospital now uh, you can get all sorts of operations, your stent done, you can have a bypass and things like that. Like, come out and then you can have your Mars bar, you can have your chips and things like that. And within seconds you're now already clogging your arteries up. It doesn't, the NHS has just spent millions and then in the same hospital you're being dealt crap food and then you can go yeah. out and access more crap food and you're creating yeah. an environment, it, 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 but it brings in money. Mm-hmm. You can't even, I think there's no VAT on fruit and veg. You can't yeah. add a value-added tax to fruit yeah. and veg. Unless you freeze it, <laughs> you can. But you can add a value-added tax onto obviously fast food. Um, but yeah, no, that's that's the point that I wanted to address in that question: is to how far you go over the nanny state. Do people really have a choice? Do they not have a choice of the lifestyle that they lead? Right, discuss. But what we'll do is we'll limit each of these to two minutes. Okay. So the first question. You're actually, time these. Yeah. Okay. The first point. To, the first point to discuss. <laughs> Is that recording? Yeah, it's recording now. <laughs> health, health is an in, sorry, health is an individual responsibility. Lifestyles that promote ill health is an individual problem and an individual consequence. Starting. That's summarising what we were saying. That, you mm. know, ideally, it would be more of a community responsibility, but the reality is, it's down to the individual, you know, families and parents really and friends and partners to actually educate themselves and make informed choices would you say the same Dr. Soto? yeah I totally agree Mm -hmm. yeah we all need to kind of work together Mm -hmm. the reason I ask this question is that when people come into us to lose weight they view it as very much an individualistic problem Mm -hmm. i.e. I put on weight too easily Mm -hmm. I make all the wrong decisions I I don't choose to eat the salad when I I should do etc etc but at the end of the day, when you've got these huge companies that are moving into developing countries, for example, like where my family from, Jamaica, and 50 years ago, you would not see one overweight person in Jamaica, and now there's loads of them, because it's a human problem, because, it, and it, because it's, it's not an individual problem. What, what, so I know we might run over the two minutes, but one of the reasons I'm so passionate about the obesity, child obesity, everything, it, it links with everything, you know, with social care and things like that. So these same children that are obese who are going to end up ill health, they're going to need social care. So all the social care system, unemployment, unhappiness, it's all linked. Mm-hmm. The whole society level, it's, everything is completely linked to this one thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I know, it's, and I think if we could 
try and help this one thing, so many other institutions, other, you know, society could benefit. That's why it really, you know, it's really important to focus on that. And it has to be as a society, we all need to get together and do it. Mm. Cooking yeah. classes, we need more cooking classes, cooking classes healthy yeah. Indian eating. Definitely the national yeah. curriculum. Yeah. It should 100% be the national curriculum. You know, traditional Indian how many foods kids know how to cook? Well, that's the thing, isn't it? We don't, yeah. You asked a child to cook. Yeah. Mad. Just anything or yeah. get involved in cooking, and parents don't. Because parents, parents, parents don't cook, but they don't cook. But they also, when parents cook, they don't actually involve their children in the cooking. Yes, so yeah. whenever they're cooking, whenever we start with like a fussy eater, for example, yeah. the initial thing that I do is to say, right, go cook with your mum. Yeah. Go enjoy cooking. Go yeah. feel the vegetables. Go smell them and see yes. what they feel like before you actually take totally a bite of them. And they're a lot more so, likely to actually eat exactly. Them yeah. 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 So if you people don't like broccoli, why? Because you've never felt and smelled it before. And they, should, only and they should grow it. them as well. Have a little. Yes, absolutely. That's even better. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Definitely yeah. a little Watman. Next topic to discuss. I'll take this up. Next topic to discuss. National health is getting worse. In twenty, in two thousand two hundred eighteen, we can expect. Well, it, I mean, look, I'm always uh, an optimist, and we have to change the tide. If if I if I think negatively, you know, it's it's not going to help anyone. I'd like to send out more of a positive message that we're going to reverse the tide of obesity, uh, levels of dementia, heart attack, and stroke are going to go down. People are going to be educated more. They are they are going to learn to cook, and we are going to get children into growing. Schools are going to change where, and GP surgeries are going to change where. It's more going to be concentrating on health and well-being. As, as in schools as well. I think that going full and agreeing with you in that you have to be an optimist, uh, or at least it, the, uh, being an optimist points the way forward. I think that the, when you look at history, historically, the biggest changes come when um, there's either a financial incentive, a power incentive, um, more than an ethical incentive and I think what we'll start to see is I think we'll start to see tech developing to a point where insurance companies can start to uh, charge people a lower premium for being at a certain weight or a certain activity mm -hmm. level. I think we'll start to see employers uh, being able to audit their staff and deciding who they want to take on dependent on how likely they think they are to claim sick leave. Um, and I, I think that will probably be the trend for And I think if that happens, and there are there is already um, interventions that are starting to go down that path, and there's already tech that is in development uh, to make that more seamless. If that's the case, I think there will be a financial, a and a career, and a um, self-progressive incentive to stay fit and healthy. And I think that's when things will change quite a bit. Yeah. Get points. Yeah, no, it would be a point. I think um, Boopa are already doing that. If you exercise a certain amount, or if you go to the no, that's it, Nuffield. If you yeah, go to Nuffield the, Health, that's, that's the one I was telling you about. And that's why oh, I, I was saying, yeah, I was telling you about Nuffield Health. The more you go, the lower your insurance, and that's what okay. almost. I think GP surgeries, the way forward is, you know, if you can, uh, you know, exercise and things, as the NHS said, the mm. same philosophy, mm. you get your prescriptions free or you get, uh, you know, you know, there'll be benefits mm. on the NHS yeah. if you prove that you were, mm. and tech could be the way forward. Mm. Smoking's one of them that's already yeah. puts your premium right Yeah, on, yeah. yeah. Uh, Lewis Atkinson's got another question for you, Doctor. He asks, um, what are you, what's your opinion on, on heavy focus on liquid diets for the treatment of type 2 diabetes? I don't, I, I don't favour them. 
And to be honest, uh, I think they're hard to uh, maintain long term. Food. When I when I talk to people about real food, it should be eaten as real food. Totally. Liquidizing things. I mean, a lot of people. You know, we talk about innocent smoothies. They're not innocent. They're mm. so much. They're loaded with sugar, and you know, and the body absorbs that. Green smoothies not so bad, maybe. But you know, a lot of people don't like the green smoothie bit. Yeah. But like the liquid diet doesn't really work. I, I don't know. Just you instantly go back to your old habits of eating again. As soon as you eat again, you put more weight on. So because yeah. you eat less amount of calories, you might as well eat just a smaller portion yeah. and wholeer foods, like you yeah. said, and you'll instantly lose weight. But as long as you're exercising and being healthy in the long term. There's no need really yeah. to have a, a shake every day. For we just need to go to the basics, go back to Simple. basics. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's and I think it is, I'd agree with both of you, and I think it's because people don't know what the basics are that prevents them from going back to the basics. And then you come back to the education. education. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, the other thing that is to at least um, recognise is that diet adherence correlates to initial motivation. So if people lose weight very quickly, mm-hmm. um, they tend to adhere to a diet in the long term better. Um, so I suppose the right way forward. Well, if you look at that's probably like Slimming World, isn't it? And yeah, as a company, mm, yeah. they are they kind of design it so that you're really really successful, but what everyone else seems to always go it's come, back. Comes down to so, habits. Well, yeah, as soon so as you finish the program, it's even exactly. worse. And then you go back to where you were beforehand. So I think there you're more paying for the support. Yes, yeah, I yeah, think yeah. the support that helps you there. Mm. Yeah, yeah, uh, helps, more than yeah. it, more than the. Diet the association yeah, yeah. with other people going like through the journey together. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. If you could time travel um, to 1818 and you could change one thing for the benefit of public health, what would you change? Any any time, like literally any time after 1818. Anesthesia for women, giving birth, no more bleeding and dying to death and dying so, in pain. That'd be nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's been so much suffering. Yeah. Yeah, I, don't, I, don't even, I didn't even think of the answer to this question. I already did. Me. I didn't look at that one. So, biggest predispositions to being unhealthy now. So, look, got the influx of sugar and the influx of um, food and mass production. How would you amend those? You could tell the Native Americans that the Europeans were coming. Then you couldn't have mass. <laughs> <laughs> then you couldn't have mass sugar plantations. That could be a good one. I think it. I mean, it begins with uh, after. Obviously, it begins with McDonald's and McDonald's story. Mm-hmm. You know, we saw how quickly they saw the profit. Mm-hmm. I think you know it all starts with uh, you know, the Americanization of the food industry and everything. If we could have stopped that, yeah, I think it would have made a massive benefit. You'd give Ray Crocker salad. Hey, you'd give Ray Crocker salad. Right, to eat healthy. Right. Next question. Can I trust? Okay. These are common. These are common concerns that I've. Um, had a look on uh, Cora, which is a, a website for questions, and obviously what we've heard before as health care practitioners. And I've got an answer, which I feel would summarise both of these, but I'll we'll go into that after. <laughs> can I trust herbal medicine? All right, but they'll be me. <laughs> yeah, go for it. Right, can I trust herbal medicine? So it comes down to you know, where you're getting your herbal medicine from, in what circumstances, are you assessed proper, properly, you know, is this prescribed safely, looking at all your other medications and, you know, taking a full health history or are you just buying something off the internet because you read something or you heard someone um, recommending it, which can be, you know, very unsafe. There have been many cases, unfortunately, um, you know, where 
often they can't even find the ingredients uh, in the particular herbal product. So, you know, we valerian and there's no valerian in it, or there is uh, beast steroids in some Chinese creams or, you know, all sorts of things. So you, you have to make sure that you, or say when, when it comes to herbal medicine in the UK, I would say you, you should see a medical herbalist, um, then you make sure make sure that you're seeing the expert, someone who's got you know, a Bachelor of Science degree in herbal medicine, who has studied you know, pharmacology, who's trained in the same diagnostic skills as a GP actually, which not, not a lot of people know about, um, and you're being monitored. Um, same with any medicine, you, know, you, should, you should have regular contact with a practitioner, uh, make sure that it continues to be safe, that it's effective for you, and um, you know, taking into account anything else that is going on in your life then. So I think, yeah, you can trust herbal medicine. Uh, definitely it's very effective and safe and, you know, taken in the right way and adjusted um, accordingly, definitely. And it's, you know, it's as humans we've evolved uh, alongside plants. Uh, we've used herbal medicine for many thousands of years. We've, we've survived the species, um, you know, Doctors used to have a lot more training in herbal medicine. There would be um, apothecaries. They would use um, herbal products more. Um, so it's taking what's still useful from traditional knowledge, combining it with um, the current um, research into it and the current clinical evidence and experience, and you know, making it, um, adjusting it to the needs of our current society. But yeah. Can I trust pharmaceuticals? Me? Uh, yeah. I mean, there, there is a, um, a lot of uh, problems going on in the pharmaceutical industry. I mean, if you've kind of noticed that a lot of patients come in that their tablet size and shape has changed because the, the pharmacist who is buying it cheaper from a different source, I mean, they're supposed to be all MHRA approved and hopefully they, you know, the regulations authorities do, do what they should be doing. Uh, and I'm hoping that this that, but I don't like, and I feel sorry for patients. I'd say it'd be myself as well that you know you, you're used to a brand, and it, you know you you take, the body doesn't react to it. And frequently you do find patients where the brand has changed, and it's actually the same drug, but they still they're reacting to it. So what are they reacting to? Mm -hmm. Something. So that's my answer. Hopefully you trust it, but sometimes when the brand changes, things do happen, and you should ask your GP to go back and prescribe you the original brand. I'd say it definitely goes down to both, what both of you discussed, and, and that's the emphasis on the individual. That is down to the individual doctor, it's down to the individual uh, medical herbalist or nutritionist or osteopath, etc. Not the practice, but we see a lot of people come in here, and I'm an osteopath by trade, They'll say osteopathy didn't work for me last time. Or I went to see a chiropractor, but I didn't like it, etc. And that's not the that's not the, the the discipline. It's the individual. And I think, but then that makes it even more difficult because you expect a certain uh, professional qualification to standardise everyone. But it doesn't often, does it? Especially when it comes to herbal medicine, which is not um, regulated in the UK, then the risk is a lot higher, obviously. So you know, I'm part of the National Institute of Medical Herbalists. Uh, we sort of self-regulate ourselves, but we maintain strict standards. So um, yeah. Yeah, that's the problem. When things aren't regulated, that's when it gets yeah. out of hand. Yeah. yeah, which is why you need to be more careful yourself. Yeah. Chris, I want to lose weight, but I'm too unfit to exercise. Never too unfit to exercise. You got, everyone's got to start somewhere. Mm -hmm. people, people start just walking down the street. That'll be a really good initiative to get going. 
Um, I think find a local gym, find someone or a friend, find someone who would want to do it with you, find a grab a partner and just start moving. The more you can do, the better. As long as it's in line with a healthy lifestyle and you're not just going for a, a mile walk with a friend, coming back and then going, right, should we have fish and chips? <laughs> it's just not going to work like that. You're better off just not doing anything. So grab a friend, go find a find someone to do it with, have fun with it, make sure it make sure it's fun. You've got to have fun with your exercise. Do you if think- it's not fun, it's, there's just no... Point in doing it. Do you think sometimes? Do you think people have um, they overcomplicate exercise sometimes? It can be, yeah, absolutely. Definitely. Because so I mean, one important thing that you said is that as long as you're moving, it's exercise. Absolutely. Or you you, like we, as an initiative, don't we? We say you have to do thirty minutes a day every day. Mm-hmm. People don't do thirty minutes a day every day. They do it for every every other day, and it maybe do four out of seven a week. But if you can stay in line with government standards, you're going to do it thirty minutes every single day. And with children, it's an hour every single day and that's not including what they get up to at school. Actually can I just add to that, so you guys can have a look at it as well, I'll send you the link. There was just recently come out and I think it's a collaboration between sports and the NHS. It's called movingmedicine.ac.uk. So for each of the different diseases, uh, COPD, asthma, cancer as well, and they've got different leaflets, you know, where you've got the one minute, three minute, five minute consultation, how to persuade people to move. And things. So I'll, I'll send you the link. Yeah, but again, it's saying that you know, no, this is for cancer patients. That the benefits of exercise in mm. cancer patients are well proven. Mm. Like you know, it helps you. It helps you. Mm. You know, your prognosis helps side effects. Yes, I didn't know that. Helps side effects from chemotherapy. Yeah, there's lots no, and lots no. of benefits. So, you know, and again, the, you believe that you're doing something to get healthier. It's empowering. Yeah, mm. and moving. You know, I, I remember listening to a professor once, and moving is actually anti-inflammatory. And sitting is inflammatory. Mm-hmm. When you're sitting for long periods, your body's there's all these chemical reactions which are pro-inflammatory, which obviously are pro-cancer, pro-dementia, pro-disease. And moving exercise is anti-inflammatory. I have no idea. Yeah. Just trying to think back of you know how did people used to live and move and eat and get a bit closer to that? You know, they were moving constantly, food weren't they? And, yeah, they were never I mean, sat still like we have our desks or anything. We even yeah. sitting there in a squat position. Yeah. Pardon? Even sitting, they'd be yes, in a squat position. Yeah. 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 Mm. And the, the other thing I'm massively I'm trying to get, especially my older patients, is to kind of lift some weights because nobody's carrying anything. Well, I've explained to people that I used to carry shopping home mm-hmm. from the town. You mm. always used to be doing something physical. Uh, and you see so many old people, their muscles, are, there's, they're non-existent. Mm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when they stand up, of course they're going to fall. There's no muscle, muscle there at all. So, you know, it's, it's really important not just move, actually, Everyone should be lifting some yeah, weights yeah. or doing something. I've got, I don't know if I told you, Chris, I've got a 96 year old patient and uh, he's, yeah, he's. Um, oh, yes, you've heard this yeah, one. He yeah, just, he just wanted to, well, someone wanted him to start moving more to um, make sure that he doesn't fall as often, right? Mm-hmm. Very, kind of, it's very well known that moving more reduces your likelihood of, uh, of falling, especially in old age. And this guy, just from getting him to squat and walk around his house, uh, the fact he can now stand up from a seated position without using his hands and he's, He's so much sharper mentally. Um, he's he's more talkative, and as well as that, he, he feels a lot more comfortable in himself. Um, right, let's get through these last couple of questions. My children are getting bigger. I tell them to stop eating and moving, but they don't listen. What should I do? I've got five minutes. Okay. Yeah, they walk out this in five minutes. Give me a call. Huh? Give me a Give call. You a call. <laughs> nah, nah, in all seriousness, probably um, in terms of them and their weight gain, I go see a health professor. Go see a GP first. Get measurements done. Um, maybe go to see a dietitian, get referred, and then they can then refer you to maybe see me, and we can get you into any groups that we've got available here in Dartford or in Gravesham. And lead by example as well. Mm. 
Definitely, the children are like sponges. They they follow what you do often. So. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> when I was giving the talk to do the GPs, you, I was yeah. saying to them, like, you know, you can't preach diet and exercise to patients if you're sitting there, and you know you're yes. not fit or. Yeah. Um, yeah, you can have. I, I couldn't do my job if I was morbidly obese. That's it. Exactly. Yeah. No, they wouldn't look. They'd look at me and go, um, "Can and, you take a room?" And yes, unfortunately, <laughs> yeah. a lot of the practitioners you come in contact with will be obese and unhealthy. So yeah, somewhere. Yeah, I mean, it's embarrassing. There's dietitians, mm. plenty of them out there, mm. which I've seen, which are obese. Mm. You can't be, sorry, but you can't be in the NHS being, you know, and I, I don't want to upset anybody out there, but you cannot give advice when you're obese. And I'm talking about where the BMI is way above 30, mm -hmm. yeah, not think, just a little bit of tubbiness here. You know. And it's not just diet, as we know, you know, it's it comes down to self-care because there could be a thyroid condition going on, you know, there could be all sorts of mm. other causes, but yeah, self-care is important and it's mm, again, really. you know, do what you preach and... Um, yeah. I think that's uh, one of the, this is not blowing my own trumpet, but having working in with the schools over the years, kids have always said to me, oh, do you work out a lot? I was like, yeah, I do. I have to take care mm. of myself. Mm. I don't just go home and eat unhealthy. Mm. I'll eat all my vegetables if I can. Yeah. I'll make sure it's balanced. Mm -hmm. I'll yeah. go and train whenever I need to. So I'm not going to go into a school and go, actually, no, I don't do anything. I just, mm. every now and then I do a bit of exercise. Mm -hmm. I eat my liquid diet, for example. <laughs> maybe lose a bit of weight. <laughs> so you've got to be honest with them because that's going to help them motivate them in the future. That's the other thing, so, Chris. That's the other thing. You know, we were saying that, you know, getting school. Mm. I mean, when I was on the Hen Health and Wellbeing, one of the things I wanted to do was get all the schools together. So there's a head teacher. You can Google it on mm. Ken. I don't know whether it's Mason or whatever. So she, firstly, I think she banned fizzy drinks. And then she banned Chris, but then she allowed Chris just on the Friday. Mm -hmm. And it was all in the news and it was in everything. And whilst one of the things, one thing I said, say, in Gravesend, if we just got every head, every school mm -hmm. to ban the fizzy drinks, right, plus the, the Chris, and they can maybe have a treat on a Friday, mm -hmm. that'd make a huge difference. And that's collective as a community. Mm -hmm. if we some of the schools together. are doing it. Some of the yeah. schools are doing it. Some of the yeah. schools have actually done that with Chris yeah. Fizzing and chocolate, so they're yeah. looking at that um, quite well. Yeah. Um, and they've only had, for example, fish and chips on a Friday now, yeah. and uh, maybe a roast on a Wednesday, and then the majority of their crisps and chocolate, you're only allowed them once on a Friday yeah. as a treat, like you said. But so we want some of the schools, schools yeah, absolutely, you know, we want definitely. That, not just like 10% of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The more, the more that do it, the easier it will be anyway. Yeah. Or mental again. Right, that's it. That's the end of Ask Girl. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed our chat today. Every single one of, the, uh, of my guests here will be um i'll put, I'll put their, their their media so social media pages um or then and the names of course um below the post so you can get in touch with them if ever you if ever you need to um thanks a lot for watching or listening and joining us and i will speak to you next time thank you cool thank you very much awesome. cheers that's all right it was good nice flowing conversation <laughs> <laughs>